Handle on the News. Handle on the News. You can use this on your broadcast. Handle, you're an idiot. You're such an ass. Take care. And now, here's Bill Handle. KFI AM uh, 640 Handle here on a Thursday and right after a wake-up call with uh, Jennifer Jones-Lee. Uh, I start uh, the show cleverly entitled The Bill Handel Show as opposed to Wake Up Call. Jennifer, you ever bitched and moaned about the fact that it's Wake Up Call and not the Jennifer Jones-Lee hour? Uh, my ego. Yeah, the hour. Every now and then when I look at that, I go, where's yeah. my name? Yeah, the hour of power. Got it. Thank you. All right. Hello, Wayne Resnick and, yep, Michelle and Jennifer Jones-Lee and Mike in for Justin. I'm back. And do we know when uh, Justin is coming back? Monday, I believe. Oh, God, he's out a lot. Mono? STDs? Handle. What? No. Family. So Fam- fam- he's helping family. He's helping. He's being Are, a good husband. God, so the family has STDs. Handle. Move on. Okay. Here we go. Lead story. Amazing Grace. All right. The San Bernardino School and uh, Jennifer opened with this story this morning. Where uh, the double uh, suicide murder at North Park Elementary School is opening on Monday as opposed to originally it was uh, the reports were it was going to open today, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so uh, last night there was a very crowded and a very emotional filled special uh, motion filled special meeting uh, where the public could uh, speak and a lot of parents were there. And uh, it was uh, the meeting consisted of uh, people up there and it ranged from uh, people who uh, parents who said the school did nothing wrong. And it's just one of those things. I mean, it just happens. How do you defend against something like this all the way to security was terrible and we have to have better security. And if someone has a record of domestic violence of any kind, uh, should not be left in the school, even if it's, I guess, even the parent of a child. I guess they would have I, to include everybody know, if they're going to so. do that. And what does that mean? Is there an accusation alone? For example, even the restraining order argument was brought up. So hang on a minute. If someone has been, for example, issued a restraining order, of which, and I get this on handle on the law all the time, anybody can ask for a restraining order and it will be granted. All one has to do is walk into court with an affidavit on an emergency basis said this person is threatening, boom, restraining order. And then that's pending a hearing. And uh, so, okay. And so I understand the response. That was one of the grandparents saying that. But did you hear, uh, speaking of uh, court documents, so uh, ABC7 Eyewitness News uncovered some court documents against Cedric Anderson. So one, uh, there's a live-in girlfriend who accuses him of trying to suffocate her with a pillow. Yeah, when was this? And threatening her with a butcher knife. I think this was, uh, all I know, well, I don't, I'm not sure when that went in, but the restraining order uh, ended in 2013. Right. No, I'm sorry, it was 2013, and the restraining order expired in June. All right, so there's another argument. Is it active restraining orders? Uh, is it previous restraining orders? And how do you find that out? Where is the database where you find that, and where is that shared with the school? Also in 97, Anderson's wife at the time got a protective order for herself and their three kids, alleging that he tried to kidnap their kids, or accusing Anderson of threatening to kidnap the kids and kill her. 
you can do anything. Uh, and so how do you go back 10 years? I remember I was getting into it with my daughter. She was 12 years old. And I was really yelling at her. Uh, I was very angry with her. And she looked at me and said, you keep on yelling. I'm going to call Child Protective Services. I was stunned. I didn't even know how she knew about Child Protective Services. But it was going to be, I'll show you, Dad. Of course, I've never touched her in my life, ever. And so what I did is I handed her the phone. And Ooh. said, you know what? Go right ahead. I'll even dial it for you. And when, you, when they yank you out of this house and put you into a foster home and someone starts beating you with a whip and serving you gruel three times a day, then we'll start talking. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But the point is, had she called, boom, investigation would have been oh, yeah, instantly there. And there is on the record, uh, Child Protective Services, I'm done. I can never pick her up at school. I so You see how easy that is? On the other hand, it's unlikely that multiple women would decide to frivolously and I falsely agree. go so, after this particular guy. All right, so guy. is it two? two? Two is way more damning than one. It's That's more true. than double. So the point is... Uh, the- other than maybe put in metal detectors to keep guns. Well, this is weird, too, because we're not really... Are, are we actually kind of trying to debate how bad his history of domestic violence might have been when we know for a fact that he murdered his estranged wife in a in a children's classroom? And did you hear the, the story, too, that there was a guy at a gas station two weeks ago who claims that Cedric Anderson came up to him and said, oh, so you like Jesus? He must right. have had, like, a bumper sticker or something on the car. And the guy said, yeah, I do. And Anderson all of a sudden just starts spewing all this stuff about I him got, being in a crappy okay, marriage. and now and, we're coming back and finding that out. But, gee, someone should have reported him. He should have written down his name. He should have, should have, should have, should have. The point is, is that this was, other than maybe metal detectors— this could not be defended against. And metal detectors wouldn't have been enough. You have to have yeah. Someone has to be metal there. detectors with an armed, trained that's true security I mean, personnel is and the so, only way. And Anderson could have just walked up and shot you know, that guy. That's right. So there's no defense. Yeah, there's no defense to this. It's one of those just horrible, horrible luck with a crazy man, and that's it. The parents of the nine-year-old who was a shooting victim. One of the two kids who were shot. The other one uh, horrifically died. Um, but uh, this uh, this kid's doing well, and there's Nolan. You're talking about the other one, Nolan Brandy. Yeah, and yeah, there's a he's pic- recovering right, very well, according to his here's family. Here's a picture with him of him. He looks like he's uh, either smiling or grimacing in pain. I haven't. God does the shine. He looks like he's smiling right there. He's smiling. and he's got a nice. He's got a stuffed animal right. on his bed. Yeah, his parents are there, and the stuffed animal's grimacing in pain. All right, we'll be back with more handle on the news. Uh, okay. Six forty. Bill Handle here, April thirteenth on a Thursday. Okay, uh, why don't we move on? More Handle on the news uh, with Wayne Resnick, Jennifer Jones Lee, and Mike Schaefer in for Justin today, and uh, the Trump Russia relationship. Not as good as Trump said during uh, the campaign. I thought they were so chummy. They were. No intervention or interference with our election process. The hacking really, uh, really didn't happen. He calls him Vladimir. Uh, Yeah, uh, Vladimir. Uh, Almost, I call him Vlad. But, no. I call him Vlad the Destroyer. 
Vlad the Impaler. So anyway, Trump has now said that uh, U.S. Uh, Russia relations may be at an all-time low. He tends to exaggerate because we almost literally went to World War III at the Bay of Pigs. But still, it's pretty low. It's pretty grim. Yesterday, the meeting with uh, Rex Tillerson and his counterpart, uh, Foreign Minister uh, Sergei Levrov, uh, all they agree, all they agreed to was both sides are liars. Yeah, you're, they agreed to disagree. Right. Well, more than that, it's you're a liar. No, no, you're a liar. No, no, no. you lie more. Uh, no, that's not true. You guys are liars. And then he did meet with Putin, where the same thing happened. And so, according to the Russians, it went from there's no gas attack to where if there was a gas attack. Uh, it was uh, the Syrian Air Force bombing a depot by mistake that was a, an arsenal of sarin gas that the rebels had to the rebels themselves bombed uh, their own people with the gas attack. Now back to there was no gas attack and it's simply made up by the United States. And then he quotes the weapons of mass destruction fiasco when uh, it was accused, or the United States had accused uh, 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 accused uh, ISIS, I think, or Al-Qaeda at that time. Or no, sorry, uh, accused Saddam Hussein of having weapons of mass destruction. Do you, oh, God, do you remember, uh, you know, Colin Powell? Holding up at the, United, holding the up bag that, or whatever no, no, it was. holding up that little vial of sweetened love. Yeah, it was a vial. Yeah, it Sweet was. Love. That's what it was. It was a vial of sweetened love saying this much anthrax can destroy half of the world. And then he poured it into his coffee, and it worked out just fine. <laughs> All right, that's not exactly what happened, but close. No. <laughs> All right. And then on, on NATO, he declares that I said it was obsolete, but it's not obsolete. Blah, flip, blah, and fly. I don't care. Now, uh, we've heard a lot. Actually, this is probably the easiest uh, way out for him. Uh, that's the most credible that he has said. Remember, he said it was obsolete during the uh, the campaign, and uh, they weren't paying enough money, their fair share. True, untrue the first one, very true the second. And he said, well, they agreed to pay more money, and the Secretary General said, yep, they, they, the countries appeed, uh, uh, agreed to pay more money. And one of the reasons said it was obsolete is because they didn't fight terrorism. And they didn't fight terrorism uh, enough. And now he's come back and saying, yes, now terrorism is a huge concern. So they've changed. I've changed. And so that's a legitimate out on that one. I can't argue with that. Because he's saying, I said it was obsolete, but because of the change now, I feel it's no longer obsolete. Okay, that works. Although uh, the uh, Secretary General made absolutely no mention of exactly fighting terrorism and how and when the president was asked uh, a couple specifics, he wouldn't specific because uh, he doesn't specific very much. That's a verb now. You know that. Too specific. We specific. You specific. Wow. You just broke my brain. Uh, yeah. It's all it's all verbs now. The uh-huh. world is full of verbs. All right. There's also the money aspect of this, right? Because he said these countries aren't paying their fair yeah, share. Yeah, true. And, and, but apparently what's happened is... They've all agreed to start to pay their fair right. share, need, so that's why NATO is relevant right. again. Is and, he going to take credit now and go, hey, look, I made these other countries yes. 
He's the one that he, he because he did force the issue. It is Donald Trump that forced that. Obama and the previous administrations let all these NATO countries slide because NATO was so important to the alliance or the alliance was so important. And so they just, eh, I'm not paying, I'm not paying. He said, oh, yes, you are. So 2% of the GDP of any country has to go to defense or has to go, I think, to NATO. Or defense. Has to go to defense. I think it has, the, the yeah. idea is you don't want your NATO partners right. cutting their defense yeah. spending and not spending anything on right. their own defense. And uh, and part of their defense is supplying arms, equipment to NATO. Uh, to NATO. Yeah. Uh, and men and women. To so NATO. only there's only four countries that, that are right. meeting that goal. And so yesterday, Secretary General said, we are going to move forward. They will start doing more. Next, uh, next year, there'll be another four or five. And uh, it will be within a decade that everybody has to pay. And Trump came back and said, hey, how about what you owe? Would you like to pay uh, us back? This is, this, is the, this is one advantage of having a president who comes from the world of business yep. and who understands contracts and contract enforcement. Yep. All right. Uh, coming up, uh, Paul Manafort news, uh, Trump's former campaign manager. Yep. He's registering as a foreign agent. Oh, what a shocker that one is. Doesn't look good. We'll come back with that. KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. Bill Handel here. All right. More Handel on the news uh, with uh, Wayne Resnick and Jennifer Jones-Lee and Mike Schaefer in for Justin today. Paul Manafort, Trump's former campaign manager, has uh, agreed and will register as a foreign agent. Back in the USSR. Because it turns out he was a foreign agent. While a campaign manager, although I'm I'm reading this story here from the Huffington Post, is Podesta, the Podesta Group, a lobbying firm run by uh, Tony Podesta, who, guess what he was during the campaign of Hillary Clinton. Ooh, yes, uh, campaign manager. Uh, but the group said it would register as a foreign agent because it worked on uh, this uh, Ukrainian center that was really a front for the Ukrainian president. And so I'm wondering, is that just parsing? That if it's your group that gets the money versus uh, you as an individual, I'm sure I'm sure legally it is uh, more serious. But if this is true, why isn't a huge deal being made out of this? This is the first I've heard of this. Out of Pode- the Podesta, Podesta angle? It's the first I've heard. Is, he not, is, he not, is he not virtually in the same boat as Manafort? Uh, I think a lot of I mean, of they it, both did yeah. highly similar things, right? I think right? that has a lot to do with the fact that Donald Trump is president and Hillary has become irrelevant. And, the, and her campaign has become irrelevant. Matter of fact, the only person that even cares is Donald Trump. And it's a very important part of his life, Hillary's run. <laughs> That's true. Is And is this why the Trump administration can't make a big deal about the Podesta thing because they have Maybe. Manafort? Yeah, could be, although the Trump administration is really good at saying nothing wrong. None of this is true. I mean, there's a lot of uh, the spin. Yeah, there's a lot of Vladimir Putin in Donald Trump. So we had a lot. We had we had multiple kind of powerful, influential political people, but from different sides of the aisle lobbying on behalf of the same group, the yeah. same European Center for a Modern Ukraine. Well, that's what, that's what people who have huge amounts of money, that's what they do. Even Donald Trump, when he was a, a donator of money as opposed to a candidate, gave to both sides. 
just in case. That's right. Yep, you just tend to do that. That's why I always say you focus on the similarities, not the not the yeah. things that divide us, but the things that are similar about yeah. these people. All right, the first lawsuit has been filed to block the border wall. Mm-hmm. Although what's interesting is you might assume it's some pro-immigrant group filing right. the lawsuit. This, uh-uh. is, this is all about environment. It actually, this is all about endangered species. That's what this is about. And they're going, oh, if you build the wall, look what's going to happen to these animals, uh, cougars and... Jaguars yeah. and wolves. Yeah. Now, I'm, I would think that the president has the power to remove animals from the endangered uh, species list. I think he does. I think it's a White House call, isn't it? Well, he can direct. Yeah, he could he just, direct that he could actually move. He could actually say we don't have an endangered species list anymore. He could actually take three of the two hundred condors that are left alive and put them on the menu at the next White House dinner. Handle at Mar-a-Lago. At Mar-a-Lago, that's true. Condor. When he, when condor he, fricassee. Next time he has dinner with Mitt Romney, he can force <laughs> him to eat some endangered condor. Uh, this is the Center for Biological Diversity that's filing this lawsuit. All right. And, and saying it'll have too much environmental impact. Here is a horrible story. A 17-year-old kid and his family flees Syria, gets refugee status. They flee to Aleppo uh, to save their lives. So this kid, for the first time, goes to the beach, tells his dad, I'm so excited, goes to the beach, gets caught up in a riptide. Out he goes, and it looks like he's drowned. They haven't even found his body yet. He begged his parents to let him go to yeah. the beach with four of his friends. Ah. And it was he and one other teen who were pulled down yeah. by this rip current. The other teen was rescued, yeah. but this kid, they... How many people have uh, the wherewithal that as soon as you're caught in a riptide, you swim sideways? Because they're sometimes they're only 10 or 15 feet wide. They're not massive, uh, huge waves that or tides. To, that happened to me once, and I was swimming, and I panicked. Yeah, that's because the problem. you get that feeling. And, and, and out you're going. Tim you, was just telling me, swim, swim with it, swim with it. And, and I you did. about 30 feet. And you got and out of it. And then I was able to swim in. Yeah. But, it, it but you're, going you out, out. you're going out pretty quick. This was about six miles an hour. And that is falling. That is fast in the water. It's also very fast for my car. Japan uh, has just said the prime minister, Prime Minister Anastabi, has said that. Uh, <laughs> that what you call him? Yeah. Okay. A B E. You don't call Honest him. Shin- you don't call him Shinzo. No, you he's call on- him Anastabi. He's like Anastabi. Yeah. Gotta be honest. Read the read read the name. Read, read it. it. Okay. In any case, I hear he's got a good deli too. That's true. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Shinzo Abe, uh, Prime Minister of Japan, warned that North Korea may be capable of firing missiles loaded with sarin gas towards Japan. So we're not talking about nuclear-tipped missiles anymore. He is saying there's also uh, biological or chemical weapons in this case. And uh, Japan, if if North Korea decides to go to war, two countries are going to go down the tubes very, very quickly. South Korea and Japan. And I wonder if uh, King uh, or Kim Jong-un is prepared to make Pyongyang a parking lot. And I don't know. He may be that crazy. Although up to this point, he has not done it. Even how long has he had nukes? 
And when was the last time he really attacked? 1951 is when the Korean War started. That's why I think he, that was, uh, that it, 50-51. And ever since there, it's all been bellicose crap. Now, there are some skirmishes along the border where one fires into the other and then they do, you know, lob a grenade, et cetera. But it's all relatively small potatoes. Uh, but if there is, well, it, it's what it is, a lot of posturing. While he's getting more and gaining more and more ability to destroy that part of the world. And their missile tests are certainly uh, oh, yeah. more than posturing. Yeah, they're getting better and better and better at those missiles. At the size, at developing the nukes, uh, at their ability to aim those missiles, the distance they can go. Yeah, it's pretty scary. All right, uh, before we bail uh, on this segment, Uber is looking at a $1.1 million state fine for failing to investigate drivers accused of being intoxicated. I am not drunk. Now, uh, the fine, and we're not even talking lawsuits yet, uh, uh, the fine uh, alleges that Uber had not taken appropriate action in 151 cases where the passenger said the guy was drunk. And they can easily, there's a technology there to instantly throw the guy off, where Uber, that driver, simply is not given the ability to be called at all, Now Uber's where he's saying, off the map. Uber's saying it got more than 2,000 complaints about intoxicated drivers, but it only banned or deactivated, as they call it, fewer than 600 of those and that's the 2,000 but the state, the state law is the ride-sharing companies are supposed to suspend them after any complaint. It's like zero tolerance, right? Yes. Yeah. It All is right. zero tolerance. Coming up, if you're on a United Airlines flight and uh, someone puts a gun to your head, don't bother calling the cops. They're not showing up. Uh, okay, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Actually, that works, and I'll tell you how. As What, do I have the right story? No, I nope. don't. Story number 10 is, oh, I don't even have it here. Uh, oh, yeah, I mix it up. I uh, Here we go. Uh, Survivor, if you're ever on Survivor and someone puts a gun to your head, don't bother calling the cops. Okay, we'll do that story. And that one makes no sense. KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. Bill Handel here as we finish Handel on the news. Wayne Resnick. And Jennifer Jones-Lee, Mike Schaefer in for Justin today. Uh, Jeff Probst of Survivor. God, has been around for how long? That show has been around for 20 years already? Maybe more. No, no 17 years. Yeah, 17. 20, se- 20 plus seasons. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Probst has hosted the show since uh, 2000. Anyway, there was uh, one contestant outed the other contestant as transgender, and everybody is just spitting. But check this out. And I mean upset with the outer. Schaefer watched this last night, and what I think is so interesting is about the fact that this this outing was so egregious based on what you saw. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the guy that did the outing, here's the thing. He, gay himself, and they bonded over the fact that they were two gay men, and so that was that was all part of the storyline. He's he's on the bottom. He's ready to be voted out. And basically, he's making his argument why you should keep me. He's basically won the argument. I think that if he just stopped and shut his mouth, he'd still be on the show. And then out of nowhere, he turns and goes, right. to prove your deceit, 
Why haven't you told everybody that wow. you're trans? So I'm assuming uh, he got voted out instantly, and even the crew came in and voted on it, this one. It, it, they didn't even vote. Oh, they just they, threw him out? They basically said, so it's fair to say we all know who's who's going home. And next thing he's And that gone. was it. He was gone. All right. That makes sense. Okay. And it's look at the way things have gone. Now, it's you defend uh, LBGT, LGTQ, FZ people uh, under all circumstances, or for the most. And that that's I, I think it's great, frankly. I mean, I think they've been so discriminated against. I'm fine with the other way. All right, United Airlines, there we go. Uh, will not use the police to remove passengers. Oh, no, my God! Look at what you did! Oh, no one is calling the that's cops. That's what makes the world's leading airline. Oscar Munoz, the CEO, has been going on all the shows, Fox and CNN, and he has not stopped apologizing. Shut up already. I got it. I got it. You're sorry. Uh, And that's because he spun the story for the fourth time. He changed it four times instead of coming right out and said, this is horrible. We blew it. And uh, now he says it's a system failure. And I want to know. I don't know if it's a system failure at all. I, I don't. And that's and the only issue is who said you stop at eight hundred dollars for that air for that ticket in terms of asking for volunteers to get off the airplane? That's what I want to know. That's where it failed. Well, and did you hear that? Um, so th- now the airline is saying anybody who was on that plane at the time, yeah. we will reimburse you and you can either have the reimbursement of cash for your ticket. You can have miles. You can have a, another ticket somewhere else. But I said, what if I was sitting in like 23E and I only paid 300 bucks for mine and the guy next to me paid 500 Doesn't bucks matter. for him? You just get what you spent. And then the next question is, you call Southwest Airlines and say, do you accept United Vouchers? All right. Now, uh, of course, Dr. Doe uh, instantly became a millionaire as soon as this happened, has already hired a lawyer. There's a press conference coming today. I just got word it's going to be at 8 o'clock our time. Yeah, we're not going to carry it live. Oh, come on, really? I'll just, how about this? Don't you want to hear what they say? I I can podcast it. Uh, How about I'll just dip into it for you? Yeah, we'll check it out and just see if there's anything interesting. Why don't you let me do it? Because I know exactly what he's going to say. Oh, you could, like, mystery science theater. Uh, He's going to say that. Yeah, that's what we could do. All right, and finally, an Irvine woman is suing Albertsons after a clerk assumes she's on food stamps, and she happens to be black, uh, the woman, and uh, then takes out a a debit card, and the uh, clerk says, uh, is this a... Food stamp card, effectively. Just have to Suing, look what you did to me. Just asking me, not necessarily in front of anybody, just asking me. I, I want millions of dollars. I've been humiliated. I'll never be able to sleep again. I've been emotionally damaged. This is America. They did offer her $500. Yep. I would have taken it, but trouble. no. I, if you're on the jury, and this woman starts talking about how destroyed she was, she is. And uh, Albert says, "Yeah, yeah, she did it. She mistakenly told the woman or asked the woman. I got it. No one else was there, though. We offered her five hundred dollars, and uh, the clerk apologized, and the clerk isn't going to do it again. And they also said that they were doing her a favor by asking her because, because you get free bags. You get the free bags yeah. if you use your EBT. Yeah. Well, frankly, I think that is." Uh, no, I mean, that, that's spinning it. But yes, um, how much money are you going to give this woman if you're on the jury? 
I, I'd probably feel like you should have taken the 500. Yeah, the and that's what I'm I thinking. Yeah, it's just uh, welcome to the litigation world. All right. Uh, coming up, Wendy Walsh, Dr. Wendy Walsh, and uh, what happened with her and her press conference and calling the anonymous hotline at Fox and her complaint against Bill O'Reilly. And I ripped into her a couple of days ago for doing part of it. And uh, I'm going to talk about why and ask her uh, what happened. And as a result of what happened, look what's happening at Fox. KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. Bill Handel here. And uh, good morning. A couple things to uh, cover this segment, which is going to the bottom of uh, the hour without commercials. And uh, sort of about the 20 after uh, time, I'm going to... uh, Tell you about how you can win $1,000. You can enter to win $1,000 every hour. KFI is giving away the chance to enter to win 1000 bucks Through what, May of uh, 2023, I think, is how long we're going to be doing this. All right. Uh, story about Dr. Wendy Walsh. Uh, Wendy did something very interesting. And that is... Uh, the, and she was very gracious to give us here on KFI uh, the first breaking story of her allegation of what happened uh, with Bill O'Reilly. And I'll have her explain a little bit of what happened again in case you missed it. And then subsequent to that, and this is where I nailed Wendy, uh, there was a video that was released of her making a phone call to the um, anonymous sexual harassment hotline that Fox had. And there it was. It was on a speaker and Lisa Bloom, her attorney's right next to her. And and at that point, I said, please, come on. Now, as a result of that, uh, this thing has exploded against Bill O'Reilly, whether it was that phone call or whether it was the first press conference and her first uh, allegations, which I thought were terrific. I mean, that the guy deserved it. Uh, and he, she was very circumspect about that, I have to tell you. Very careful, very moderate, not making any wild-ass claims. And uh, so now Bill O'Reilly is in just a little bit of trouble. He may actually lose his job. All right, so, uh, Wendy, uh, thanks for hanging on. I know you got a lot a lot of things to do this morning. Uh, now, <laughs> now, here's what uh, – well, first of all, let's go through uh, the allegation and what happened and the – uh, response that you got from the first press conference. All right. So I want to make clear uh, this happened way back in 2013. At the time, I didn't even know that it could be constituted as sexual harassment because I was only a job applicant, not an employee at Fox. And it was only after four months of pressure by the New York Times, who had dug up these stories of five other women who had been paid off and silenced that they begged me to tell my story. And my story is very mild and thing and very simple. I was a guest on his show. Uh, his executive assistant reached out to me within a few weeks of appearing, asking me would I have dinner with Bill in New York. I was quite convinced that this, if not going to be a job offer, was an opportunity for me to talk about becoming a paid contributor of Fox. I didn't even have to bring it up. Within the first few minutes of the dinner, he mentioned that Roger Ailes was his best friend and they would like to make me a contributor. At the end of the dinner, he simply said, let's get out of here. And I started walking towards the bar. He started walking towards the bedrooms. We walked away from each other and then turned back around. And he said, no, no, come to my suite. 
and I said, I'm so sorry, I can't do that. Uh, so we went to the bar, and he became very hostile and said the words, forget all that career advice I gave you, you're on your own. So, uh, you know, as a woman who suffered so much sexual harassment over the course of my 30-year career, I shrugged my shoulders and went, ugh, another one. Um, and then, of course, soon after, he barred me from his show. Right. But, um, but it was, you know, to me, that's so many women have experienced stuff like that. Right. I didn't even think it was a big deal. Yeah, and that's, uh, and, and that's true. And we have talked to a lot of women, both on this show and in person, that they truly do shrug it off. But also, and uh, I'm going to throw this at you, and it's a little psychological uh, sidebar story. The argument is that's just the way guys are wired, is that they're going to uh, they're going to hit up on women, and the ones who don't really are they're going against uh, their evolutionary grain. Uh, just one minute right. on that one before we go to the Bill O'Reilly story. Well, we go back the big to it. Less, the big lesson here, gentlemen, is that times have changed. Women make up the majority of the workforce now, and you can't dangle a job and withdraw it. You can't dangle a promotion and withdraw it. That's called quid pro quo. Got it. So you, can do the, you can't do that, and you also can't create a sexually hostile environment. You can compliment any woman you want. You think is beautiful or she wore a nice dress or has a great hair. I mean, I do it all the time. I think I told have i ever told you i really think you have great teeth by the way bill every time i look at your teeth i mean to tell you now that is first of all right i i regard that as sexual harassment that's for starters (laughs) and does that mean everything else is horrible but back to uh in (laughs) terms of just comment yeah i get it sexual body parts you can't Uh, say you have great boobs or a great butt uh which i do constantly mainly to guys so (laughs) the question is hitting up on a woman and her saying simply, nah, I'm not interested. That's not sexual harassment in your life. N- not in life, but when it's set up by... No, I understand. When it's in the boss. workplace and it's subordinate, yeah. et cetera. No, yeah. I, and I get that. Yeah. And I, I think we clearly understand that. So yeah. uh, I, I want to make it clear that you made it very clear that you knew it happened in 2013. There is no lawsuit. There was no settlement. You did not go after Fox whatsoever. I and, don't want money. Pardon? <laughs> I don't want money. Right. Uh, now, do you want him fired? Because you had said originally no. 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 I don't have a dog in this race. Honestly, I was pressured to come forward by the New York Times. Now that I have been given this pulpit, I am happy to educate people about sexual harassment. I want this national discourse to continue so that my daughters will enter a workplace that is safer for women. That's the only thing I care about. No, I it get is that. really up to Fox to do whatever they're going to do. And I uh, obviously I think you have a, a tremendous amount of credibility. I know you and I know who you are. So first press conference that comes out is this is what happened. Why that uh, that call to uh, the Fox hotline? I have to tell you, I looked at it and I thought it was just a stunt. I really did. Well, it it was really in response to their claim was that no one had ever called this hotline. And my attorney, Lisa Bloom, encouraged me to do it because she said, we need to go on record. You know, you can't just run around the media saying all this stuff and never talking to them directly about what's going on. Hang on a minute. Uh, Wendy, hang on. No one had ever called the hotline in the last eight years. So now he claimed. All right. But after the fact now, okay, I'll call now to put it on the record. Uh, Don't you think that's this is what I attacked you for, by the way, uh, (laughs) is uh, I mean, come on. After the fact, just to make some noise, Lisa is sitting next to you. 
It almost looked like it was Svengali. Here's what you do. Here's how you do it. I want lots of publicity. And uh, frankly, I thought that you were totally manipulated by this. Well, you are welcome to your opinion. <laughs> you can say I'm wrong. No, I don't. I don't know the answer, actually. All I right. just know that my attorney asked me to do this. She said it was important to do it in response to the fact that they kept saying, you know, how dare this woman say this? She's never even complained to us. And she went through the employee handbook and found that although legally there's a statute of limitations of 12 months in California, um, in their handbook, there was no statute of limitations. So what this did trigger is them finally getting involved and doing an investigation. Right. Have they con- and now, if you read the New York Times, you will see that they're taking this very seriously because the two Murdoch sons who are running things, one of them wants to keep him and one doesn't. So they're doing a very thorough investigation because supposedly, this is all reported by the New York Times, uh, his new contract says that, okay, any other, any old sexual harassment lawsuit is just water under the bridge. But any new complaint, and we have the right to end your contract. Which is so, just, just for the complaint, we can knock off your contract. Well, they're doing an investigation to see if it's legitimate. That today is not legitimate. That is totally illegal. I mean, on his face. I mean, that's just crazy. Uh, today, they're interviewing three of my friends who in 2013 that I told right after the event. So they're taking the time to interview lots of people. Okay. They've asked for copies of every email exchange between him and me, between his secretary and me, between his producers and me. We've given them all of that. And four attorneys spent two hours grilling me. With every detail, so they are doing a thorough investigation. Right. Four attorneys from Fox grilled you. Yeah, and you said, and you said, me. and you said, okay. Yes, of course. Okay, I mean that's uh, that's you being open and transparent. And uh, I said, I think the way you're handling, other than the uh, phone call uh, that was uh, videoed, other than that, I think uh, you're actually doing a superb job in handling this. So, two questions, Wendy: uh, mm-hmm. Did you at all anticipate? This kind of reaction, which I'm guessing no. no. And as a result of that, uh, tell me now that you're truly in the public eye on this one. You can't talk about Bill O'Reilly without talking about Wendy Walsh anymore. Certainly not during this news cycle. How what response have you gotten? Well, let me say this. I expected that I would have one little quote buried deep in the New York Times article, not a big prominent photograph and the only voice of it, because the way it was explained to me is there were these six other women and I was just sort of part of the crowd. So I expected the article to come out, people to go all a Twitter for one day, and then maybe the president do something dumb the next day and we'd all be turn our attention to that. That's what I expected. Instead, this has stayed a national story for a week and a half now. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm obviously trying to use the platform only to educate people and to tell guys especially, don't worry, complimenting a woman is okay, you know, or if you've been sexually harassed, whether you're a man or a woman, here are the, the steps you should go yeah. through. I've also received calls from other people reporting to be other victims, and I'm trying to talk them off the ledge and trying to convince them to go on the record, but everybody's too afraid. I didn't know that I was brave, Bill. You were. Oh, no, you were. As soon as you sat down, no, as soon as you sat down here, I go, okay, this this gal has uh, balls. And, by the way, great boobs, I might add. Oh, no, wait a minute. Hold on. And so I, I love you. If, I thank love you. you. If, you uh, if O'Reilly gets canned, uh, do you think uh, he deserves it? And should he, outside of uh, your situation, based on if all the other allegations are true, or most of them are true, should he lose his job? 
I will tell you, I am a compassionate person, and it is possible for me to feel hurt, angry, and deeply empathetic all at the same time. I don't like to see a father lose his job. You know, that doesn't feel good to me. On the other hand, Fox News has said that they will clean up their act and make it a safe workplace, starting with Roger Ailes and on down, and that's their business decision. So I really, I'm I'm of two minds in this. I can't say one way or the other. All right. Uh, Wendy, you're off and uh, running, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this story over the next week or two because it's not going to go away for a while. Take care, Wendy. Have a good one. Uh, Dr. Wendy Walsh, who is heard right here on KFI, and that is uh, what day, what time? Saturday's 4 to 6. Sunday's 4 to 6. Sunday's 4 to 6. Not Yeah, Yeah, it's... um, God, I'm so bad at time. I can. I don't even know when Gary and Shannon are on past ten o'clock. All right, now uh, the uh, O'Reilly damage. I want to talk about that for a few moments because there's a whole story there. Uh, because uh, as Wendy said, she doesn't want to see someone to lose their job, a father, which is what a lot of people don't believe. Uh, Eighteen million dollar a year guy who brings in four hundred million dollars, uh, three to four hundred million dollars in revenue for Fox. So it's a lot bigger than Wendy just being a great, compassionate human being. It is financially a massive story and which way Fox is going to go. And there are two minds here. You've got the two sons of Rupert Murdoch who are trying to move Fox into a different direction. As in not getting nailed and accused of sexual harassment. Murdoch, who loves, absolutely loves Bill O'Reilly. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of the brothers who has, uh, James is the one that uh, wants uh, O'Reilly out. And I think the other one and dad want him to stay. And the issue is, how do you handle something like that? When Roger Ailes was fired for his much more egregious uh, sexual activity, I mean, there's no question uh, with... Uh, O'Reilly, who is his actions as bad as they are, benign compared to what Roger Ailes did. And so Roger Ailes got the toss. Now, even though he founded the Fox News Network and he has run it successfully since his inception and he is given credit for creating this massive, hugely successful both ratings as well as uh, as well as financial uh, it's uh, financial strength, uh, they fired him. And uh, a lot of people watch Fox every day. I mean, I have it on the screen, uh, and I'm watching it constantly during the break, et cetera. And if anything's breaking, I'm watching, especially the helicopter stuff, uh, uh, when any of that happens, or video, because it's very hard to do video on the radio, because uh, you can look at that radio all day long, and you're not going to get a lot of video. And I also have seen CNN, but Fox obviously has become a huge, huge part of our lives, anybody who cares about news. So in the meantime, uh, what's happening over at Fox with Bill O'Reilly is they have to make some big, big decisions as to whether he is going to stay or not. Because here are the conflicts that uh, Fox has. Conflict number one, how do you get rid of someone who brings in 300 or 400 million bucks a year? It's a huge revenue call. And at the same time, how do you then deal with uh, changing Fox over to a new culture where women are honored and women are not abused. And the two are in total conflict with each other 
when Mr. $300 million a year is the story now as to sexual harassment. And as uh, Wayne said yesterday, adding uh, another little brick here. Is it a brick you add? No. Another, you add a wrinkle? You I add think? a wrinkle or, you a you, wrinkle. or another uh, another log to the fire is the fact that there are there's a huge sale going on where Fox wants to buy Sky News out of Europe, which is the Fox network in Europe. And that was a $14 billion deal, of which is, uh, I'm, I'm going to argue, and they're frightened is in jeopardy. Because uh, in Europe, the regulators are a little tougher than here. Although breasts can show in Europe. Did you know that? You look at commercials, and there are breasts, which is... And their language standards are looser yes. than here as oh, yeah, well. much. But, so which way do you think it's going to go, Wayne? Well, uh, here's is, the interesting and he's thing. On, and he's on vacation. Bill O'Reilly is <laughs> on vacation uh, while this is going on. Now they're saying it was scheduled vacation, and uh, we don't know the answer to that. I think it's true because he usually goes on vacation around this time of year. And that could be checked. I suppose you could. You, somebody could research when he has taken his vacations in years right. past. And whether, in fact, he usually takes one around this time. But what he what he never has done before is out of the blue said, oh, and by the way, I'm going to take a vacation because I like to take them. And this is when I like to take them. And I've had this vacation planned since last fall. He's never done that before. And but it's easy to check airline tickets and you're done. Sure. Because no one buys airline tickets two days before on a vacation. So, so which, which way do you think it's going to go? Well, here's I'll tell you what. I, I would have said until today that I don't that, – that he might have to go so that Fox can get Sky News. And that would be if the regulators in Britain made a big deal about this in Fox's attempt to take over Sky News. But here's the interesting thing. This morning, it turned out, the only media outlet in Britain that's complaining – about Fox taking over Sky News is The Guardian. And this is vitally important because their big concern is they don't want too much of a monopoly in their media. And so all the other media outlets get to weigh in on the takeover. And so far, only The Guardian has actually expressed a complaint about it, even the BBC, Mm. which generally has been complaining on principle for a long time about this stuff. They didn't respond to the consultation from the regulators about what do you think of this deal. So here's what I say now. If in Britain they're basically getting out of the way, knowing that Fox will be able to take over Sky without a big fight, then they may not need to get rid of O'Reilly O'Reilly in order to get Sky, and then his $300 in revenue may become more important to them now. If they can get Sky and keep O'Reilly, that's what they probably would prefer. And then then hopefully hopefully all of this blows over and it just becomes... Well, you've talked about how, you you know, it generally does, just in the world, these kinds of scandals tend to blow over, right? Right, I think so. All right, and I've seen it happen. I've been doing this for a lot of of years. All right, and then, uh, I wish we had more time to talk about uh, the U.S. and Russia's role in Syria. And we'll do it a little bit later because there's a huge story there about uh, the press conference, the meeting that took place uh, not only between uh, uh, Rex Tillerson and uh, Foreign Minister uh, Sergei Lavrov of, of, the, uh, of Russia, but also the meeting between Teller, uh, Tillerson and Putin, which everybody expected to happen 
and then no one expected to happen, and then it happened because they kept uh, the Russians kept Tillerson actually waiting, not in the obviously not in the waiting room for an hour or two, but still whether it's going to happen or not. So I, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, because uh, and, th- and I want to hear you talk about whether whether, in fact, Putin ever should have met with Tillerson only because of their positions. Yeah. Uh, Wouldn't yeah. Putin's equal here be Trump? It, yes. And usually you would think foreign minister go to foreign minister. But Tillerson has a personal relationship with Putin and has for many years. And almost every single Russian leader has, in fact, met with the secretary of state. There's a history of it. Uh, so uh, we've got plenty to talk about later on. All right. Uh, uh, okay, we'll do that. All right, we'll do that at 7.30. Fair enough. All right, this is Bill O'Handle, and you're listening to The Factor. Uh, KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. Bill Handel here. All right. Uh, think we have enough to cover today, as usual. So yesterday, uh, we were anticipating the meeting between Rex Tillerson and uh, Sergei, Sergei Levrov, the Russian force minister in Moscow, and whether or not uh, Vladimir Putin was going to meet with uh, Rex Tillerson, which actually did happen. It was a no. It was a yes. It was a no. It was a yes, finally. And uh, that one was a little unusual. What we anticipated actually happened. And that is, they, there's no way they could agree and would agree or will agree on anything that is happening in Syria uh, or happening with the hacking intervention and the election. I mean, none of that happened at all. And so effectively is uh, there's a problem. And how do you deal with it? I mean, you, you can't put uh, a camel's back on a sow's ear. Do I have that right? Close. You make a purse out oh, of a sow's I, I, ear. Okay, I knew it was one of those. And I don't know what you do with that camel. Yeah, I don't either. So the point is that uh, we're so far apart from Russia, and there's such different views where I, I'm surprised that both uh, the United States and Russia even recognize that the issue is Syria or the Middle East. This might have, They might as well said Tierra del Fuego is where it happened. And it was just, I mean, it's crazy. So uh, the bombing of Syria, big deal on Donald Trump's side because what he did is he has reversed himself from no intervention whatsoever in Syria to the bombing of uh, the Syrian air base from which uh, the attack was launched, uh, the gas attack was launched. So all of a sudden, okay, intervention time, that's a huge change from where he was. And he's changing his mind a lot these days, and his base is going berserk. And that is, uh, for example, NATO has gone the other way, and uh, uh, not so much the uh, not so much still going for Obamacare, and still internationally, I think he's going the other way. Domestically, he's still I still think I still think he's on track. But uh, the point here is that the president, and I've said this so many times, you can campaign. And then all of a sudden, you sit behind that desk, and reality hits. And whoops, there are real people out there 
Uh, there are real foreign leaders. There are real decisions that have to be made and real problems. So you don't have problems when you're campaigning. The only problems you have when you're campaigning is if there's an audio of you grabbing someone's ass and saying, oh, boy, this was good, or not even uh, her ass. I mean, those are the problems you have when you're campaigning. Now, how about this? Dealing with Russia, dealing with gas attacks, uh, dealing with China. And that's the other one. Oh, he reversed himself on China. Remember the great currency manipulator? We want to declare currency manipulation. Uh, okay, I've changed my mind on that one. I'm not going to do this, but you help me out. And now the art of the deal is taking place where Donald Trump is moving from the great campaigner to the great negotiator, of which he does. Well, actually, what does he do better? Negotiator campaign. Uh, he, he would probably say they're they're really one in the same. Probably true. So what what is going on here? Uh, what's going on in, in the twain shall not meet is as long as the Soviet Union looks at, at Assad as an ally, and not because they happen to like Assad. I don't think Putin particularly loves Assad. He probably does think he's an animal uh, and or uh, not even very sophisticated, very ham handed. I mean, if they were going to do what they were going to do, do what Russia does. Do it where there's easy uh, deniability. You know, they're killing people like crazy, but they're doing one at a time. There isn't massive bombings, uh, gassing going on. It's just a uh, you've got a uh, you've got a newspaper man here, you've got a journalist there, and you've got someone who is running against your protege, and that person ends up dying. That's pretty sophisticated stuff in the big picture, and. Certainly Assad is very ham-handed. I mean, he's just crazy. So as long as Putin looks at Assad as an ally in order to keep a Russian presence in that part of the world, because without Assad, there is no Russian presence. We have, pre- we have a presence there all over the place. We have allies. We have Egypt. We have Israel. We have the Emirates. Uh, we have Jordan. Russia has nobody. It has Iran, and, and Iran's not going to help them. And they have uh, Syria. For the most part. And that's it. So it's a different world. As far as Russia is concerned, there was no gas attack. None. Didn't exist. And it's Assad also said completely fabricated. Right. And even and I, they haven't yet said that the video was shot on a soundstage in Culver City, much like the moonshot was, because we know that's not true. So Assad, Assad is our version of uh, the crazy people where it's fake news other than news that agrees with you. I never connected the two. Wow. You just did. Assad uh, is a birther. Assad is uh, a believer in fake news. Because anything, even the video that shows those kids being gassed and killed is fake. And the Russians agreed. Sort of. And then... There's the video. Okay, so maybe there was a bomb attack. Uh, However, uh, it really wasn't. It was their fault, the Syrians' fault, Syrian rebels' fault, because uh, they were holding on. The the rebels were holding on to chemical weapons. Right. And the Syrians had to do a conventional bomb for totally good reasons. Exactly. Because after all, these are not rebels, they are terrorists. That's right. They're always terrorists. Okay. And And then then when they did their bomb, they blew up the chemicals that the rebels had. Yep. That was one story. And then it morphed into. 
Uh, the Syrians themselves use the gas. The rebel. The rebels, the you mean? Yeah. Yes, the rebels are the ones that are actually holding on to the gas and are using. They're the ones that are using it. It's not the it's not the Assad government. So I guess where's the question is how how is it that the Syrian rebels bomb themselves with uh, with gas as with a, as a false flag to turn world sentiment against Assad. Okay. I mean that would be that would be the theory. No, they would and do it the, to inflame hey, anti-Assad sentiment. World, the World Trade Center is going down. It was the government, our government, did this uh, to declare war on Islam. Uh, just go figure. All right, uh, it's going. It's going to get crazier. It is, uh, and uh, we will see what happens. Is there going to be a negotiation? Is there going to be reality? And also, let me throw into the mix. We've got North Korea. We have China. And Trump is going to kowtow, or not kowtow, uh, that's not fair to say. He is going to certainly reduce his belligerence towards China if China helps with North Korea. So welcome to the presidency, Mr. President. Okay, welcome. It's a little more complicated than just standing up and calling Ted Cruz lion Ted and, and crooked Hillary. Life uh, is a touch more complicated than that. All right, California, sanctuary state. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about that. And again, uh, what are the consequences on that one? Well, I'll share that with you. KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. Bill Handel here. And Wayne Resnick, I'm bringing him into this uh, topic because it has to do with California dealing with the feds. And we're talking about uh, the federal criminal justice system to an extent. And as you know, Wayne was in that system for decades as a federal parole uh, parole officer. So uh, sanctuary state bill has been introduced uh, by the Senate leader, Kevin D. Leon. And uh, it does some rather interesting things. It takes the the concept of local jurisdictions, I know this becomes statewide, local jurisdictions and takes the concept of not helping federal law enforcement, particularly in the area of illegal aliens. Matter of fact, it's only in the area of immigration. And says to the immigration officers, federal officers, we are not going to help you whatsoever bringing forth either uh, hanging on to someone who's gone past his, let's say, three days or a week or two weeks in jail because of a drunk driving conviction. Even if you ask us, hold on to him. We want to know if he is illegal. We have some information. Nope. Out he goes. Uh, won't tell you who he, who he is even. We don't care. You're done. We're not helping at all. But they're taking this to a new level. And uh, this is California. And now we've just gone crazy with this. I mean, a lot of this is okay, and I was talking to Wayne during the break, but some of it is completely nuts. So, Wayne, as you were talking, uh, tell everybody else, as you were talking to me, share your story. Well, a lot of this has a real been there, done that quality because it's been the law in this country for a long time that the feds can't force local law enforcement to do federal law enforcement work. That's been the case. The Supreme Court right. decided that in several and that's cases. Picking up illegal aliens, which they used to do, right? The local authorities would, on behalf of the feds, actually go to people's homes and pick them up. That they can't do anymore. Well, they don't have to. See, here's the interesting thing about this whole thing. 
they can't, no local law enforcement can be forced to enforce federal law. That doesn't mean they're prohibited from doing it. They can do it if they want. So what the state of California is trying to do with this Senate Bill 54, the sanctuary state bill, is forbid any law enforcement agency in California from cooperating even if they want to. You know, LAPD, they don't want to cooperate. We know that. But there's a lot of sheriffs, particularly in California, they want to they want to cooperate with immigration. And this law would forbid them from doing that. So that's outrage one. You don't tie the hands of law enforcement. And then this is really the biggest thing that sucks. One of the things in this bill says that local law enforcement would not be allowed to even give immigration officers access to interview somebody. That is stunning. And that, that to is, me, and you pointed it out, that that sounds a lot like impeding an investigation. It does. At that it's point. impeding a federal investigation. And so this sounds like uh, the state legislature of North Carolina uh, that said, we are not going to recognize the Supreme Court's decision about gay marriage. We don't care. They don't have the jurisdiction. God has the jurisdiction, and God doesn't like queers getting married. It's right there in the Bible. No queers getting married. Uh, That's what God wants. And so this pretty much is saying much the same thing, where whatever the federal government is allowed to do, a legitimate investigation of an illegal alien or perceived illegal alien, uh, we're going to stop it. We're not going to we are actually going to aggressively stop you from going forward with that investigation if the guy is in our jail. Tell me that is not impeding a federal investigation. Tell me that in court would not be overturned in about 12 seconds. This reveals the hostility underneath this AB, sorry, Senate Bill 54. There's one it's one thing to say. We're concerned about our immigrant populations, and we don't want to do anything that's going to make them feel like they can't work with us, the local PD. I think that's fine. This reveals that really what's going on here is hatred. There's hatred towards the enforcement of our immigration laws. And and as you were saying, is for some reason the most important constituency that now is uh, in the eyes of our legislature is the illegal alien. And I don't is. know when I don't know how they decided that that would be the most important part of the population that they need to serve. Know. Yeah, it's great. Well, obviously, it has to deal with uh, the fact that it's a, a Latino issue and many has, Hispanics view the fight against illegal uh, immigration is the fight against Latinos. It's one and the same uh, illegal immigration because they say. There's no such thing as an illegal immigrant. Everybody has to. Vincente Fox, my favorite line when he was president of Mexico. Uh, and that is the, the border between Mexico and the United States is a line. That's it. We are all Americans and Mexicans. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, coming up, success from scratch. And this is a really neat success from scratch and then a failure. And then a success from scratch. And then it didn't do so well. And then another success. And then, eh, and then a huge success. How is that possible? I'll share that. And we also might dip into that presser at uh, Oh, yes. Yes. Dr. Dow, his uh, yes. family member is supposed to speak. I'll yeah, can't that. wait for Dr. Dow to do his thing. All right. All of that coming up. KFI AM 640. 
Let's go now to that news conference that's happening in Chicago. This is attorney Thomas Demetrio. He's the attorney for the United Passenger, Dr. David Doe, who was dragged off of a flight, a United Airlines flight. The perspective of my world of law. Here's the law, real simple. If you're going to eject a passenger under no circumstances, can it be done with unreasonable force or violence? That's the law. If unreasonable force and violence is used under a set of circumstances, the common carrier, United Airlines in this case, is responsible. For each of us in this room, as we bump along in a day-to-day fashion, we owe each other an ordinary care standard. I'm not to be careless and hurt you. I'm not to be negligent and hurt you. But in the world of common carriers, they have the highest duty of care to provide protection and safety to its fair-paying passengers. As we all saw on the video, that was not done. That was not done in this case. And I would defy anyone to suggest that there was not unreasonable force and violence used okay i just woke up to help dr uh just all right it's exactly what we thought he was going to say there's going to be nothing there other than a slow pedantic uh, lawyer talk from a lawyer now uh coming up uh about 20 after we're going to give away a thousand dollars and i'll show you how to enter i'll tell you how to enter to win and there will be no break and there'll be no break now you may win $1,000. Let me tell you what Thomas Dimitrio just won. He won the lawyer lottery is what he just won. And that's because he got the case. This thing is going to settle in a week or over the next several weeks. I don't even think they're going to have to file a lawsuit. I literally think it's a letter Going to United Airlines, please be advised that I represent uh, Dr. Doe in uh, in relation to the uh, incident that occurred on United Airlines flight, whatever the hell it was. And they're going to start, they are going to start negotiating with them instantly. There's no question about it. Uh, you're listening to this, aren't you, Jennifer? Okay, yes. if, if anything actually comes up other than him... Uh, speaking slowly, carefully. Yeah, he needs to kind of pump it up. Uh, with uh, airlines have uh, uh, for a long time bullied us. Get excited! They're a bunch of bastards. Look what they did to my client. Yeah, but Tom Tom Demetrio's been around too long to be excited anymore. Oh <laughs> no! Oh no! He is uh, on this for one letter. What do you think he's going to make? He gets a third of this action. Right. So let's say they settle for a million bucks, which I think they're going to pay him more than that is my guess. I think this is seven figures or better. Here's my favorite. He just said 
All we want is respect. Oh. All we want is dignity. All you want is money. Yeah, if you want respect, dignity, here's our apology. Thank you. Go home. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, not quite. But a million dollars to Demetrio is not, he, he won't even bother to brag about that. Oh, yes, well, That's how established he is. Well, I don't care. $300,000 for a letter. I don't care how successful you are. So, in any case, uh, if if any exciting happens, uh, go ahead and just interrupt me, would you, Jennifer? Absolutely. Especially right. if he brings up his client to speak. Oh, uh, yeah. Or, a family, me- or a family member. Yeah, okay. I think David Do- uh, Dow's daughter is supposed to be there, too. Oh, can't wait. Uh, saying, you know, while my dad did supply our entire family with uh, Percocet and Norco oh, no. for all these years, we at least we didn't hurt. At least there was no pain in our family. Uh, Bill's being sarcastic, and that was not an assertion of fact. <laughs> All right. That thank was you for that. not intended All as right. an assertion of fact. Fair enough. So let's uh, go ahead. If uh, We're not going to be interrupted, hopefully, uh, with our success from scratch, and then failure, and then success, and then failure, and then success. I don't think we've ever had a story like Although we're this. like 12 minutes away from yeah. giving away $1,000. $1,000. Okay. 42nd season of uh, SNL, Saturday Night Live. This year, enjoying some of the highest ratings in the history of its 42 years on the air. And why? Because of Donald Trump. If this show wins wins an Emmy this year, they all have to thank Donald Trump. And if Alec Baldwin gets up on stage to accept the Emmy, he has to do it in his Donald Trump outfit. There's no question about it. And say, this is huge! All right, so... How did all this start? Uh, because I want to give you a background, and it's and the characters that came out of this, and uh, the successes and failures. So it was October eleventh, nineteen seventy five. I watched it that night. I actually watched the first night, as did uh, wait. I saw it also. Yep. And I'll bet you didn't know, which I didn't know until we start researching this. Uh, it's all uh, about Johnny Carson. He's he's the one that's given credit for starting Saturday Night Live. Boy, wait a second, isn't it Lauren Michaels? It started with Johnny Carson. Because here's what happened: prior to 1975, NBC would run repeats of the Tonight Show on Saturday nights. Well, in 1974, Carson ordered uh, NBC stop showing the repeats. Keep in mind that Carson almost owned NBC. A huge amount of revenue that came in NBC was because of Carson. He owned his own show, and at that point, I think he was making $30, $40 million a year. I'm talking about when $30, $40 million a year was real money uh, back in 1975. And so he ordered NBC to stop showing the repeats so they could be saved to air during the week when he took his time off, uh, four days a week. So at the president of NBC at that time, a guy named Herb Schlosser, asked the vice president, Dick Ebersole, to create a new show, so they to replace the Carson reruns. Barry Diller, who was an executive of Paramount Pictures, suggested that Lauren Michaels be uh, put the show together. Who the hell is Lauren Michaels? He worked for the Canadian Broadcast Company as a broadcaster. In uh, he came to Laugh-In. Remember Laugh-In? He was just a writer, but obviously Barry Diller thought he had a lot of uh, a lot of talent, and uh, certainly there was something there. So, over a period of three weeks, Michaels develops the idea for a show. Comedy sketches, musical performance, political satire. And the show was originally called Saturday Night, not Saturday Night Live, even though it was live at that time. 
ABC uh, owned the title for a show called Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell. That's why they couldn't do Saturday Night Live, and Cosell, of course, tanked immediately. That show didn't last uh, one season. So the first cast, and I thought the first few seasons were just unbelievable because let me give you the cast of that first show, that first season. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, and some of the greatest skits that they've ever done came out of that first season. Chevy Chase, who left Saturday Night Live in the second season and should not have. That, I thought, was a big mistake. Jane Curtin, look at her where she is. Garrett Morris. Now, Garrett Morris is a real interesting story because he was the one black guy who was on the show. And as he watched everybody else explode, he couldn't get any traction. And he was the guy who basically at the end of the season just didn't have anything to do. Everybody else was in movies. And and he actually uh, alleged racism uh, during that first season. Uh, then Lorraine Newman, Gilda Radner, who incidentally was the first person actually hired for Saturday Night Live. Michael O'Donohue, one of the funniest guys in the world. And he worked out of the Harvard Lampoon. He edited the Harvard Lampoon. And that was hilarious stuff. And then George Coe. I have no idea who George Coe is. He was the he was the middle aged guy with the very announcer voice yeah, that he, they would use occasionally. And he disappeared. Uh, and from the very moment, this was bizarre. Considered a very bizarre show. And the the episode that first episode opened with a sketch in which Michael O'Donohue uh, teaches John Belushi how to say certain English phrases. Let us begin. Repeat after me. I would like. I would like to feed your fingertips. To feed your fingertips to the Wolverines. To the Wolverines. <laughs> Next, I am afraid. I am afraid. We are out. We are out. Our badgers. Our badgers. Would you accept? Would you accept a Wolverine? A Wolverine in its place. In its place. That is funny stuff. Belushi was. Uh, beyond hilarious. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. I mean, all of it. So the first host, because the whole premise was to have different hosts every week, was George Carlin. The first musical guest, which they have every week, uh, was Billy Preston and Janice Ian. So uh, the show started. And for those of us that are fans of Saturday Night Live, uh, which there are so many, uh, it just exploded after that. Although the first season, the ratings were not all that terrific. But NBC was convinced to keep the show. And you know why? Because even though the ratings sucked, it did well with the boomers. Quick question, Handle. Yeah. Crystal Pepper, the daughter of Dr. David Dow, who was dragged off the United flight, is talking. Do you want to hear from her? Uh, sure. Why don't we break in? Why not? Thank Here you so goes. much again for your support. Okay. Yes, sure. Okay, that was strong. Oh. Okay, well done. All right. Now well, we know what she sounds <laughs> like. Let's, let's move on. We know that she, she does not. She said that they were horrified, and, shocked, yeah, and sickened. Of course they were. And, in fact, if it were my family I, member, I, personally do. I would say money, money, and more money as soon as it happened. Because you're super shocked and super sickened oh, yeah, and that's, super sad. No, I would be upset. No, no. I would, if too. If a family member would be dragged off, but then you come back and ask the question, is it worth a million dollars to be dragged off the plane like that? And would anybody say no? Oh, you could drag my ass off a plane for a million bucks. That's exactly my point. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So now let's go back to uh, Saturday Night Live and 
uh, talk about why the first season, uh, the ratings were eh, kind of soft. Uh, but NBC kept the show because baby boomers uh, at that time were the desired demographic. That's who they wanted to watch a show and did. And then the show served as a launching pad for a whole bunch of people who went on to careers in film and television. Uh, Chevy Chase was the first cast member to leave the show. He left in the middle of the second season. And I remember that. Uh, what, what's the segment that he did? Uh, it was a news segment. Weekend uh, Update? Weekend Came Update. Up, yeah. That was it. Yeah. And then he was replaced by Bill Murray, who is an insanely talented guy. He played the Lounge Lizard, uh, a bunch of other great characters. Uh, he had actually been cast as uh, a member in the Howard Cosell variety show, Saturday Night Live. Can you imagine Howard Cosell, if you remember who you Great sportscaster. The first uh, person to publicly to call Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali. Everybody else insisted on calling him Cassius Clay. And uh, Howard Cosell said, you know what? That's his name. He wants to be called Muhammad Ali. That's what we're going to call him. And that became a great relationship between the two. That's an aside. In any case... By the fifth season, Saturday Night Live had lost uh, Chase and Murray and Belushi and Aykroyd, which I was devastated. I mean, I truly remember how upset I was. I don't think I've ever connected to a show like that. Maybe Jethro and the Beverly Hillbillies, but just true connection to them. And I'm serious. I'm not making that up. That is, uh, I really, really was upset. So at that point, fifth season now, Lauren Michaels, the producer, the creator, is exhausted. He leaves the show. And then he tried to get NBC to put the show on hiatus for a period of time while he was out recuperating from being exhausted. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, This is one of the few very successful shows on the network. It costs very little to produce that show. Uh, I remember, who was it that uh, I read the first year? The cast got $750 a week to do the show. For a network show, I mean nothing. And so it was very cheap to do. Al Franken, yes, Senator Al Franken, you really like me. Al Franken uh, was uh, a writer, and Michaels wanted Al Franken to take over the executive producer for the show. Instead, NBC goes with another associate producer. So let's talk about season six for a moment. A complete disaster. Because remember, this is a success from scratch story and then failure and then success and then failure. There are 42 years of this stuff. And it could be, and it, I don't know if it is the longest running show in television. I, I think the, uh, no, uh, face uh, the Meet the Press is at 70 years, but it's pretty close. So uh, now we'll go to season 1980-1981. A, a totally new cast. Charles Rocket. No idea what happened to him. By that point, I wasn't watching it. Charles Rocket. No idea. Denny Dillon. Uh, no idea. Gilbert Gottfried. I recognize the name. Gail Mathias. I mean, do you, these names, are they flashing in front of you going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah? I mean, we go through the whole list. Now, Joe Piscopo is different. He was the breakout guy in that season. And so there's one. And then Ann uh, Risley. And then there was a guy on the show that year by the name of Eddie Murphy. And he probably became, at least for a period of time, 
the most explosive breakthrough artist that SNL ever had. Wasn't he at one point the number one box office attraction, number one box office draw in the United yes. States? I mean, un- and he's unbelievably talented. Oh, my goodness, is he talented. I hear he's a complete a hole, uh, but he's totally talented. So the ratings drop. Saturday Night Live uh, has serious competition uh, from ABC, and they had a comedy show similar called Fridays. And even though the show did not air opposite SNL, it actually was drawing more ratings and more acclaim. As a matter of fact, season six was so bad, Dick Ebersol, who was the people that started the show, came in and took it over and instantly fired Gottfried, Risley, and Rocket. Replaced by Robin Duke, Tim Kazernsky, Tony Rosato. So people that you never would recognize their name replaced by people you've never recognized their name and never would. And Aerosol uh, both wanted to bring in John Candy and Catherine O'Hara from SCTV, which uh, is where a a lot of these uh, personalities came from also every single day. All right, back we go to Saturday Night Live, uh, this success from scratch. So season seven was when Eddie Murphy just exploded to become a breakout star. And the characters that he created are just beyond funny. funny. Gumby and what only a black guy could ever do is Buckwheat. Hi, I'm Buckwheat. Remember me? <laughs> and I have compiled for you and your listening pedger some of my favorite songs. <laughs> It's all here on this unspectacular offer. But we sing. <laughs> Take a whistle. Aunt Ties. See times I made it. Yes, they're all here. Looking for nub in all the wrong places. Looking for Buckwheat sings a song, it's eternally his. The dot, daddy diver, stand on the daddy diver. So uh, that's Buck's uh, Buckwheat. But the problem is, Ebersol, uh, the show became less experimental, more straightforward, not as crazy. But it, one thing he didn't do is have a problem firing people, and he fired people like crazy. All right, so over the years, uh, the show hires people you've never heard of and keeps on hiring people you've never heard of. And then comes season 10. Billy Crystal, Christopher Guess, Martin Short, Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer. Shearer had actually very briefly been a cast member during season 5. And uh, season 10 was actually one of the best Rated And actually, season 10 is considered one of the great classics of uh, Saturday Night Live. And then there was, oh, uh, for example, Martin Short's uh, songwriter, Irving. Give me a C, a bouncy C. We scout Willie. He was a heck of a guy. He walked into a room. He stood all this high. And every time he put on the waistcoat, the women would swoon because it was a really nice coat. How can you not laugh out loud? So I want to go through this very quickly because uh, there's so much here. Season 12, uh, new cast, Dana Carvey, Nora Dunn, uh, Jan Hooks, Phil Hartman. Uh, who I th- Was it Phil Hartman who got shot up by his wife over yes. here in Sherman Oaks? Uh, Kevin Nealon 
And so it's season 12 was very, very well received. And uh, in one skit, Phil Hartman plays Ronald Reagan. And uh, here's the sample. And finally, Mr. President, about the Iran-Nicaraguan connection. Some may wonder which was worse, your knowing or your not knowing. Well, all I can say is I didn't know. And, well, we're trying to find out what happened because none of us know. Well, thank you, Mr. President. There you go. I, well, I, I hope keep I've on answered going. your questions as best I, I, wanna, I, I want to keep on going because I want to get some more in. Chris Farley, uh, best known on SNL as Tommy Boy. And uh, here's Chris. All right. How's everybody? Good, good, good. Now, as your father probably told you, my name is Matt Foley, and I am a motivational speaker. Now, let's get started by letting me give you a little bit of a scenario of what my life is all about. First off, I am 35 years old. All right, let's. I am okay, divorced. Okay, let's go on. It's, and let's, I live let's go on because in a van down by the river. Can we stop that, Mike? All right. Uh, and then one of the most famous people, actually probably one of the, my favorite people, is Adam Sandler. And he started uh, all of his great songs. He did a lot of them on the show. And uh, let's do, want to do the NFL pajamas just real quickly? I love you, mama, more than pastrama, way more than Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, let's take, let's take a, a little bit. What she's very famous for is O.J. Simpson is not a Jew. Don't need deck the halls or jingle bell rock because you can spin a dreidel with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, both Jewish. Put on your yarmulke. Here comes Hanukkah, the owner of the Seattle Supersonica. Celebrate Hanukkah. O.J. Simpson... Not a Jew. (laughs) How do you beat that, huh? So uh, today, uh, SNL has exploded, of course. Uh, Alec Baldwin uh, and just, uh, 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 oh, my God, Kate. uh, Kate McKinnon. McKinnon and uh, just doing all of the great political figures. Although Kate McKinnon uh, did Hillary and that's sort of gone. Uh, which is which is too bad. Kellyanne, she's doing Kellyanne, Kellyanne Conway. Conway. Yeah, unfortunately, Kellyanne Conway is also disappearing. She does Jeff Sessions. Yep, yep. And uh, oh. and they had Melissa McCarthy That's come right. on and be Sean Spicer. That's right. She did a fabulous Sean Spicer. I mean, just the best. And instead of accepting the humor, uh, much like uh, Gerald Ford, remember when uh, Chevy Chase was playing President Ford? And Ford thought it was the funniest thing he had ever heard. As a matter of fact, at uh, I think it was the correspondence dinner, he had Chevy Chase come up as Gerald Ford. Uh, just like Ford, Ford liked it. The first Bush liked it, right. liked Dana Carvey's impression. George W. Bush liked Will Ferrell's impression. Obama liked the impressions that were done of him, but Trump does not like no, it at all. No. And you think well, Trump has a tremendous sense of humor, as you know, uh, but not in. I know it's just you'll never see the guy smile. S- Donald Trump smiling is his mouth goes sideways. It's either a frown or sideways. You'll never see the corner of his mouth actually go up. Coming up, handle on the news late edition right here. KFI AM 640. Let's make some- 
KFI AM 640. Bill Handel here with the morning crew. Let's do it. Uh, Handle on the news, late edition, Jennifer Jones-Lee, Wayne Resnick, uh, and Mike Schaefer in for Justin today. Lead story. All I want for Christmas well, is my uh, The attorney for uh, David Dow is still speaking, and it will be for a while or he will be for a while. Daughter, David Dow's daughter, came up and said, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your support. We love you. We love you. And I probably won't buy you a drink with all the money we're going to get. And uh, something else that was just said. First of all, we know he lost two front teeth. He had his nose broken, had a concussion, according to his lawyer. Okay? And uh, something else that he said. Jennifer, you you just interrupted me, or you, yeah, while I was... Eating my Passover chicken. I know. Sorry. Okay. Uh, his attorney says that David Dow says the dragging, referring to the dragging on the plane, the dragging was more horrifying than fleeing Vietnam. Now, oh, come on. I know. Now, even better than that, uh, did he flee Vietnam? Was he one of the Vietnamese boat people? I'll bet you he was. I don't know. So 3,500 uh, 3, miles on a boat that's about to capsize any moment not enough food, not enough water, and as soon as you get in the water, you become shark food. This was worse. That was a quote off of CNN, and here's another quote off of them. Uh, they're saying that Dr. Dow has apparently, and I quote, Zippo, nada, memory of the incident. Hmm. So therefore, ooh, that's really bad. You know why? Because he can't argue emotional distress. Oh, he if he, it really, if he has yeah, no memory of yeah. it? If you have no memory, how do you argue severe emotional Wait, distress? Wait, but he could just say that he saw the video again, couldn't he? Yeah, he could. Yeah, he could. It, all brought, it brought it all back. Sure, he could. Now, I don't know if he was a boat person, incidentally. I'm just... Uh, I don't know. I'm assuming that he was. And if he flew in on... Uh, which No, he couldn't have flown in on a 747 the way uh, people uh, now do, the immigrants. Uh, now, Even the illegal... Well, they're legal when they fly in on a 747 or any other ship. Why are we talking about 747s? Because that's where everybody flew in on. All right. Uh, vaccination rate jumps in California. The way, the way tougher inoculation laws kicked in. If your kid goes to school, private or public, guess what? Vaccine time. You can't say no. And there isn't that crapola religious or personal belief exemption anymore. It's against my religion. What religion is that? The anti-vaccination religion. That's the religion. So, guess what? More people. uh, The only way to get around it is to homeschool your kid today. That's it. Or have the kid not go to school, which, of course, is impossible. So, it's... um, And so, here are the... uh, It's the autism crowd, isn't it? It's the Jenny McCarthy crowd. Very much so. There are still people out there who believe that if you vaccinate your kid, that gives them a much better chance of somehow... Ending up with autism. Yeah, it's crazy. Based on uh, the uh, mercury preservative, which does not happen anymore and hasn't for years. But my kid's going to get sick because they used to use mercury as a preservative 15 years ago. All right. Thank you. Now, uh, as you would expect, Assad is uh, uh, issuing some statements about the chemical attack. Uh, It's a 100% fabrication. To blame him. First interview after the incident. Gave no no order to make any attack, even if we had chemical weapons, which we don't. We wouldn't use them. 
Uh, he said it's unclear who carried out the attack. At least he recognizes there was an attack as opposed to initially there wasn't even an attack. He added the videos of those kids dying were propaganda designed to prompt uh, the U.S. reaction. He also said it's not clear whether it happened or not. Now we're back to we really don't know whether it happened. How do you verify a video? There are a lot of fake videos, and we don't even know whether those kids were killed where you say they were killed, or were they dead at all? Were they children? Maybe they were extras from The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Hilarious. All right, Trump is now coming back uh, after saying that uh, we the relationship between the Russians and the United States are uh, at a the lowest level I think they've ever been or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. So uh, the tweet this morning, things will work out fine between the USA and Russia. At the right time, everyone will come to their senses and there will be a lasting peace. Now, uh, yesterday, the president reversed his position on the Chinese currency manipulation. He's not calling that currency manipulation anymore because he wants Beijing to help with the North Korea issue. And he said, I have great confidence that China will properly deal with North Korea. And if they're unable to do so, the USA and its allies will USA. So he's all over the map on this one. Uh, But then again, Donald Trump is all over the map. In general, did somebody, some PR person, get to him and say, "Hey, you better put out like a reconciliation no, tweet this no. morning"? You know what? I don't know. Or did he just sleep on it and go, nah, I, "You yeah, know what? What I, I said yesterday, maybe not the case." Yeah, I don't think even if a PR person did, unless it's so egregious what he says, it's you no. Know, I think he just feels differently at different times. Is what I think. But also, can this be seen as a as a subtle dig against Russia when he says at the right time? Everyone will come to their senses. Now, he doesn't mean him, right? He doesn't mean I'm out of my mind right now and I will come to my senses later. So he's still suggesting that Russia is the problem and it's because they're out of their minds right now. Yeah, here's the problem with that statement you just made. There's some subtlety. (laughs) I get your point. You're saying he's not capable of subtlety. That's correct. All right, uh, finish it up uh, when we come back. KFI AM 640. KFI AM uh, 640 Handle here in the morning crew as we finish Handle on the News Late Edition with Wayne Resnick, Jennifer Jones Lee, Mike Schaefer in for uh, Justin today, and uh, me. The uh, 2004 massacre that happened in, uh, was it Moscow? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember if it is. Anyway, it was the Beslan School say- Siege. Remember the uh, Chechens, uh, Chechen rebels came in? And took a thousand hostages, mostly kids, in that school, and about uh, three hundred and thirty, about thirty percent of the people died. And the Russians then came in and stormed the school, and it was just horrible. Well, two thousand four. Uh, here we are, thirteen years later, and the European Court of Human Rights said that Russia failed to protect the hostages and could have done better. And and you've talked about this this ongoing problem. This was in the North Caucasus, where there's a lot of uh, Muslim population and separatists and all of that. And that's where this school was. Oh, it was. okay. For some reason, I thought it was. uh, It was in the town of Beslan. It's like thirty five thousand people up there. Oh, 
I thought it was a suburb. Uh, never mind. Okay, let's just move on. Don't ever correct me again, okay? That's the one shot you have this month. All right, uh, here's what happened at Ohio Prison. I mean, I love this. You know how prisoners make stuff? They make shivs, uh, knives out of you know, razor blades and stuff. Shit. They ferment that prison yeah. juice Pru- in the uh, toilet. Pruno. Pruno. Right? Ew, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They what do they a lot do? of stuff. Well, they uh, in this case, they built a couple of computers. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison. Connected to the Internet. Dragon. So uh, they can apply for credit cards using someone else's information. Uh, they got pornography, uh, tax refund fraud information, recipe for homemade drugs, message exchanges, able to issue passes to gain access to other parts of the prison. And uh, it's a little embarrassing, don't you think? A little. Where do you, they build a computer? Two computers they they built, and they were able to connect them to the Department of Rehabilitation's network to get out onto the internet. That's what I'm more impressed by. I'm impressed by the the fact that they were were able to get it connected to the internet. The only thing more surprising, if they had built a a Volkswagen, for example, Uh in in one of the cells. (laughs) So crazy. The Golden Gate Bridge is a suicide magnet. Now, while Wayne, Wayne Resnick is a babe magnet... This is a little different. I will not be correcting you on that statement. This is the the Golden Gate Bridge is truly suicide central in the United States. Number one location. Uh, 40 known people jumping to their deaths uh, last year. 200 more being uh, talked away from the ledge. And so what are they going to do? Because you can just jump right off now. And uh, you hit the water, uh, what, 100 and something feet below. And so now... They've decided to put a net under the bridge where if you jump, you're falling exactly 20 feet, and that's about it. And there's a net with these stanchions with the um, the supports. Uh, what if you fall right on the support? Uh, do, you, do you hit your head? What if you fall into the net and there's enough give that it bounces you off the net oh. and into the water? Oh, right into the – oh. Right. I, I think it probably would be more – Trapeze. As a matter of fact, I'm looking They're at a picture. They're spending over $200 million to that's make sure I, it doesn't happen. Now, that's that what I was. A $200 million net. I'm looking at it. They could have bought a used trapeze net from Barnum & Bailey Circus, which is going out of business this year. There's a hammock in my backyard they could use. I know. This is uh, $200 million. This was million. serious controversy up there regarding the money on it. And there's this um, this documentary. It's called The uh, the, I think it's called The Bridge. That's what it's called. And they put, there were these um, documentarians who put a camera on the Golden Gate Bridge for a year and just watched people jump. You watch the people jump See, real time. There you are. I mean, that's always it's exciting. Amazing. But you yeah. know what? The, one more quick little fact about that. People, when they jump, I think up to, I think to this day, only jump toward the city. They don't jump oh, interesting. toward the other side the, because they romanticize got it. and jump toward the city. And then the ones that, that do, are rescued, there's a lot of oops. This is a mistake. I changed my mind. That's a tough... And there that are is a couple a, people who have left. Yeah, and that's a tough place to be mentally when you're now falling uh, towards the water. Okay, let's go right to story eight because I think that affects a lot of people. It's a dog story for Michelle. And uh, now uh, L.A. Uh, uh, County... Uh, the public health officials are warning of a dog flu outbreak. Nasty dogs. And it is, it can be fairly serious. It Sometimes or most of the time dogs just get sick, but it is uh, 
It can get very, very contagious. It's the H3N2 flu, first reported in Chicago. But here's where where it comes from. It comes from dogs who were adopted from Asia. So get this. You adopt a dog, a shelter dog from Asia who comes over and kills your shelter dog that you have here. There, it's pretty impressive to me. Anyway, if your dog has a runny nose or is coughing or sneezing, you might want to have him treated. It's out. very treatable. Yeah, it, it's treatable if you it, catch it really early. Usually yep. it's bad in the older dogs or the very young ones. Is it communicable to humans? No. I don't think so. No, I no. don't think it's. No, I think it's, it's dog specific. Well, like the dogs, bird flu yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. Well, it really, not really. The bird flu, it's happened a couple of times, and they're they're worrying about it jumping to humans in a big way. Now it's sort of very rare. It's for people who have a lot of sex with chickens over a prolonged period of time. Which, incidentally, uh, you go to the internet, never mind. I'm even going to go there, right? Anyway. If you're worried about it, just take your dog to the vet. Have them checked out. Okay. Why don't we uh, leave it on that note, okay? Uh, handle on the law. Uh, do they have a case? We do this once a week. Wayne pulls out real legal stories and asks me, "Do is there a case there? And we go around the room and ask uh, our staff here, do they have a case? And you get to participate at home. By guessing whether there is a real case there. And if you guess correctly, you will win absolutely nothing, which is what we do here on KFI a lot, except for the $1,000 that we're going to give away in about 20 minutes. KFI AM 640. AM uh, 640, Bill Handel here, and uh, the morning crew. And coming up at 9.30, uh, yeehaw, it's our fork report with Neil Saavedra. And it's cool ways to color your eggs, your Easter eggs. And so I'll tell you how we do that later on. Uh, However, the best and worst food at ballparks, that one I'm interested in. That's okay with me. I'm not a big fan of uh, Easter eggs. I don't know why. I've ne- I never did colored Easter eggs. Did you? No. Uh, also, and this maybe is an ignorant question, but since I never colored Easter eggs, you're usually coloring actual hard-boiled eggs, and then you eat them later? You know, I have no idea. Uh, I think you can eat them later, although no one uh, no one really does. And We, I, we and- used to until people got a little bit more savvy about leaving eggs out. All day long. Oh, I see. And I then see. they kind of stopped yeah. doing that. I once tried uh, coloring eggs, but it was uh, it was scrambled eggs. And it was, oh, it, yeah, it was not the same. It wasn't quite the same, was it? All right. It's time for, gee, that's just, I try and sometimes it just, okay. Uh, handle on the law. Uh, do they have a case? So once a week, Wayne Resnick uh, doing research grabs a few cases and to find uh, and asks me and asks the crowd here, and you also can guess just to see if I'm wrong and you're right. Usually that's the case. So let's start with uh, case number one. All right. Uh, this is a case. Wait, wait, what do they call this case? Uh, I'm going to call this case the case of the Trump hat. Aha. Uh-huh. Here's what happened. 
in the West Village in New York, there's this place called The Happiest Hour. It's a kind of a hipster bar. So one day, a guy from Philly, he's visiting New York. His name is Greg Piatic. He goes in there. He's wearing a Make America Great Again hat. They go into the bar. They're ignored. So he gets a lawyer and sues the bar for discrimination, saying, you wouldn't acknowledge me or serve me because I was wearing a Donald Trump hat. Does he have a case? Absolutely not. Because you can discriminate all day long, as long as you don't discriminate uh, against people that are protected classes, i.e. minorities, i.e. LGBT folks, i.e., well, in some cases, older. Yeah, not really. Not really. Not anymore. Uh, Certainly. So gender, religion. uh, What's the other one? National origin. National origin, sexual orientation. Race, of course. uh, Yes, uh, certainly race. And so uh, there's a big sign that says, we can refuse service to anyone. Was he in anyone? Is that fair to say? He wasn't anyone. He wasn't anyone. So what's the bottom line here? No case. Here's what the bar did, though. They put up a sign saying, sorry, no baseball hats allowed. Basically, they said, we're not going to play this game. We're just not going to let anybody wear any cap into our bar. And they can do that. But the lawsuit uh, dismissed. Did it go forward? Do we know? Lawsuit is pending. Pending. Oh, he's going to lose. He is absolutely going to lose. And uh, there's uh, that's the way out. Uh, a couple of the bakeries who refused uh, to do uh, one bakery, and I think it was Colorado, if you oh, remember, yeah. refused to bake the cake for the gay couple. Yes. Uh, the the uh, wedding cake. And out exploded this lawsuit discrimination, because that is discrimination. Uh, you're talking about sexual orientation. That is a no-no in terms of discrimination. So they came back and said, okay, no wedding cakes for anyone. We're out of the wedding cake business. That's allowed. Yeah, that's how you can protect yourself. That's exactly how you protect yourself. All right. All right. Next up, the case of the allergic employee. This is at a Travelodge hotel. And a fight breaks out. Are there still Travelodge hotels sure. out there? Yeah. Okay. They So a fight breaks out in the lobby. Some guests are fighting with each other. And the employee, who you would think would either break it up or call the cops or do something, a guy named George Hermes, he's sleeping at the desk. And this, of course, is on video. So he's fired. Now, he files a lawsuit and he says, I have a medical problem. And the reason that I was sleeping on the job is because I have an allergy to the electromagnetic voltage at the hotel and Travel Lodge would not accommodate my disability of being allergic to the electricity. By just using kerosene lamps, for example. And no elevators. They have to walk up the stairs. And no computers to take your reservations. Right. No telephones. So, now, this case has been decided. Oh, come on. And this, it, this, yeah. went, this went to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. This is a federal well, you can always major say, case. Okay, so he loses right? at the district court level. He he goes to the appeals court and does the appeal court hear it? Oh, absolutely, can they, they say, hear it. And they can they they can say no. 
Uh, no, you know, they can't. They actually have to take they, the case? They can't. What they can say no to is once they've had a ruling at the appeals level, you know, they can rehear it and right. bonk with all the judges. That's true. They can refuse to do that. I understand, but they have to hear they have the appeal. They have to appeals. hear the initial appeal. And they did, and they did rule on this gentleman. Now, what do you think? He says he's allergic oh, to electromagnetic. I know he tried to come in with American. And they have to accommodate yeah, me. I know, American with Disabilities Act, whatever he threw at them. And, of course, uh, a medical situation where accommodation by law has to be made. And did the judge actually use the word croc in deciding? Uh, no, didn't use the word croc, but the appeals court said, well, wait, you go first. Does he have a case? No, of course not. Okay. Yeah, the appeals court said, <laughs> you have no case, and whatever you're describing yes. is not covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act. I know. You so go, he's out. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. yeah. That's what just what you want, is someone who's supposed to be there, or maybe a guard, or maybe, uh, or maybe a security guy. All right. Uh, when we come back, I'll do the uh, uh, $1,000 giveaway, incidentally. Uh, that's right after right after the break. A thousand dollars is going to be given away, or the chance to enter to win. Uh, do I have that right? I always At do that wrong. You have a chance to enter to win a thousand dollars. There you giving go. Away a chance every to hour. Enter. Yeah, because I'm not going to take a thousand dollars out of my pocket and just hand it to you. You could if you want to. Uh, I could if I had a thousand dollars in my pocket, which I don't. So there you go. <laughs> and that's coming up right after the break. KFI AM 640. Bill Handel here and with uh, the morning crew. All right. Now, back we go to the segment that we do once a week with Wayne Resnick, and that is uh, a takeoff on Handel on the Law. Well, I do this all the time, uh, but I tell you, you have no case. This segment, Wayne comes up with cases, these are legitimate real cases, and asks, do they have a case? And... This is first impression. I have no idea what these cases are about. Let's do it. This is the case of the anti-dog blog. And it involves two women who lived in a condo association. And they both got emotional support dogs. They went to the association and they said, we're getting these emotional support dogs. Here's a letter from our doctor saying we should have emotional support dogs. Here you go. Well, the people in the condo community didn't like this one bit because it's a no-dog community. And there's a blog that one of the people who lives in the community runs. So he started trashing these women for having dogs, making fun of emotional support dogs, the whole thing. Other residents got in on the act, and it became a big topic of discussion. Then... The board fined them for having the dogs and violating the rules, and it's a per-day fine. Every day you've got these dogs, it's 50 bucks. So they sued and said, whoa, you are discriminating against us. Americans with Disabilities Act, we should be able to have these dogs, and we shouldn't have to pay these fines. And this case also went all the way up to a federal appeals court, Third Circuit. Yeah, absolute winner on the women's part because... Emotional support dogs are absolutely allowed. And once you fall under the ADA, you are screwed. Couldn't touch the blogs. The blogs, First Amendment, they can do that all day long. 
But the dogs themselves, uh, I don't know how you keep a dog off. You can take a dog on an airplane if it's an emotional support, insert name of animal, ferret, parrot, pig, a carrot, carrot. I mean, you can actually do that. And see, what they should do, I can't wait for the feds under the ADA to allow dogs to have emotional support owners to help the dogs out. Oh, that's so, a whole new twist. Yes, it is. So the point is, uh, no, uh, these women have no case. Or, excuse me, they do have a case. They cannot throw out the dogs. I, I will give you a chance to reconsider. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, but there's one thing that the court talked about that you, you may want to take into your ruling. Which is? The difference between an emotional support animal, which is not clearly defined anywhere, under the, okay, under and the, a service animal, okay. which is specifically uh, defined as an right. animal that's been taught to do a particular task. Okay, so does the court come back because of vagueness? Because, oh, you don't know. Because, no, no, I know. I'm okay. saying I Is don't it because give there's it no specificity? You have to tell me. I'm still saying that the women won the case. You're correct, sir. Ah! The, the federal court said you do not have to pay those fines and you can have your dogs and nobody can do anything about it. Okay. Uh, God, I wish we had time for the next case. Uh, and we'll do this next week. The case. I'll save this one. No, the case of the unclipped Goyim. That's not what it says. No, it gets. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. The case of the unclipped battlefield. Yes, completely different. Uh, Maybe I'll save this for next week. It's a pretty good case. It sounds good. Unclipped battlefield. Love that. All right. Coming up, Neil Saavedra with the Fork Report. Can't wait for that one. Uh, Colored Easter eggs. Or Easter eggs you color, because I don't want to sound completely racist. And the best and worst food at ballparks. This is KFI AM6. <laughs> no, I, the looks. I have to react to the looks you guys give me. All right. KFI AM640, Bill Handel here and uh, the morning crew. And it is that time on a Thursday when we engage in the Fork Report with Neil Saavedra, heard every Saturday from 2 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Sounds weird. Why? Engaged. That's what we do. We engage. Mm. That's engaged. That means uh, connected to uh, more yeah, than sh- more a, than just let's just talk about it. I'm talking about engaged. Sounds like I'm going to have to have you removed okay. or something. It just seems weird. All right. Uh, so let's go back, uh, if we can, to I don't know how many years ago uh, when I started. I remember the question that I asked. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that question and ask, uh, did Jesus color Eggs for Easter. No. Okay. So that's off the table. Wow, you really come out swinging with the heavy theological questions before we get into food, don't you? Yeah, I do. So uh, Easter eggs, and we do this every year, uh, where Easter eggs are a big deal. A lot of people do Easter eggs. I've never been a fan of Easter eggs, and it's not because— well, it's not even that. It's not even that, because before I converted and realized I could make more money as a Jew than not— it was, uh, even then, it was an Easter egg happy time for me. Well, you know, there, it's although it's associated with Easter, Easter uh, being a, a major holiday for Christians and celebration of the resurrection of Christ, uh, dying eggs 
predates Easter. So it, it's well, we go back to pagan days. You well, said this many, many times. But here, it, the dyeing uh, became a, a, a very important process for clothing and all kinds of things, including eggs and things of decoration. You know how um, the color purple was so important with regality. Uh, with yes, the, of course. You know why? Because it was so expensive. Right, indigo. Yeah, yeah. Was, well, they, and they, they, there was a process that was, uh, some of it was gotten, uh, was uh, extracted from seashells. Right, and all little kinds. tiny yeah. conch shell, and very so, expensive. So super expensive, therefore, these colors started becoming uh, important indicators of class or things like that. So I'm going to throw a, a little history, a little bit of history here. It's not Hitler, the name no, of Hitler's dog, No, right? it isn't, okay. it isn't. But, and uh, a lot of people go, really, in the days of... Rembrandt, when we're talking about the 1500s or 1600s with the paintings, and they were commissioned to paint, you know, various uh, royalty and religious figures and wealthy merchants would commission a painter. On on that level, the paint was more expensive than the painter because exactly what you said. Those dyes. um, Fortunes. Some of the reds and things like that were the most complicated. Some of the blues, very difficult to get. And so the process uh, has many different origins. You can trace it back, like I said, much earlier than the time of uh, Easter celebrations, Um, some of it going to pagans and whatnot. But the egg has been uh, always seen as um, life. Yes, symbol of life. Symbol of life. There is a Latin proverb, uh, omni vivum ex ovo, uh, which means everything, all life comes from an egg. Right, and it's it's a big part of the Passover Seder plate too, absolutely, which yes. plays a part in this as well. So all these things become this uh, uh, this celebration of new life, and so the egg kind of ends up representing the resurrection, the hey. tomb, and the resurrection. All right, that's all that's all legitimate, and I and I can understand that. There's a connection. Now, what I don't understand is how the resurrection of Christ somehow connects to Peeps. Well, because it's Which kind I of a modern term for disciples. Oh. Jesus' peeps. <laughs> that's actually... He that's, gathered... That's he, funny. He gathered that with his peeps. Is, no, Neil, I have to give it to you. That is funny. All right, let's move well, on. Well, we all know you are the arbiter of comedy, <laughs> so I'll take it. Uh, so uh, the, the coloring part is interesting because there's a couple of stories that are not biblical, but are kind of like mythological. Now, you may not see those two things as different, but someone like me would. But there are stories that um, that Mary Magdalene uh, brought hard-boiled eggs to the tomb for the other women so they could eat as they sat in mourning. And that when she came to the tomb and Jesus was, in fact, resurrected, the eggs turned red like blood. Okay. So these are all mythological. Again, they're, I want to make this clear. They're not in the Bible anywhere or anything no, like that. See, these I mean, are stories. A lot of tradition. A lot of yeah, tradition. These here. are stories that have been passed down or what have you. So early on in the early days of the church, they would dye them red. And the red was to uh, symbolize the blood dealing with the death, and the egg was to be the new life, which was the resurrection. So this is kind of the pattern. Okay, so let's talk about the eggs you have in front of you, because uh, we haven't yet got to the actual coloring of the eggs. So this is cool, and producer Michelle brought these in, and I just posted them on my Instagram and Twitter at Fork Reporter, at Fork Reporter on Instagram and Twitter. And they're beautiful. So this is a process that's kind of popping up and very popular right now where you use whipped cream, you use Cool Whip, and you add food coloring to it, vinegar to it, and then you add the eggs to it. The 
the the process, the whole process of coloring eggs, uh, you use an acid. That's the vinegar. The acid in the vinegar reacts with the calcium in the shell, and it causes a reaction. If you notice, when you put them in, they start to bubble a little bit. It's making carbon uh, carbon dioxide. And that helps the color permeate the eggs. And in this case, the whipped cream ends up being um, – uh, it's, it, it encases the color in a way that makes you allow it to do like these swirls yeah, and like I'm, a tie dye rather than I, it than it coloring the whole egg. And I I'm look I'm looking at these eggs. They're beautiful. I mean, yeah, they look are, at this one. This one's gorgeous. It's, yeah, it, it looks like uh, Jupiter. Yeah, it does with the different colors uh, in it. Absolutely, it's uh, so. You, and the Cool Whip ends up. People go, well, why would you use Cool Whip? The Cool Whip, all it does is hold the color so the color doesn't get diluted like water. And and then you can dr- use like a a toothpick or you can use a bamboo stick and swirl it, and that way the swirls are what will penetrate the egg and ver- then cause this really neat kind of uh, color it on is. the outside. And so uh, you have so people want to know how to do this. Uh, there is a link yeah, to this. We've I'm got assuming. this up on the website. I believe Michelle's got it up on her site. But uh, the Cool Whip marbled eggs are, are becoming very popular yeah, this year. Uh, but that all of the mix really comes to those things, and I'll explain a couple of natural colors, non-food coloring colors that you can do when we come back. All right, and I also want to get to – we have to do that quickly because I want to get to the 24 new food items at Major League Baseball stadiums, stadiums coming up. Because you're such up. a sports fan? Because I'm such – well, for this, I would go see a baseball game. KFI AM 640. KFI AM uh, 640. Bill Handel, morning crew. Uh, the infamous, uh, the wonderful Neil Saavedra. See, I'm giving wow. you some kudos. All right. Wow. Did that sound sincere? Sort of. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Neil does the Fork Report every Thursday here on KFI, 930. And uh, so we were just finishing up Easter egg news, and uh, we were talking about coloring Easter eggs. And yep. we went through a whole, uh, whole segment on that. There's a couple different things. Some people don't like using food dyes, and that's fine. If you don't, there's a lot of natural things, uh, even onion skins. You can use onion skins. You can use red cabbage. You can use all kinds of things, uh, turmeric, to dye eggs. Just you really adding water. Um, you're gonna Some will boil them. Some will do them at, at cool. You can find all this stuff online. And you're going to use an acid like vinegar to um, help uh, permeate the, the calcium shell. But you can use fun things like Kool-Aid. You can go buy a little Kool-Aid packets, put them in two-thirds cup of water. That You don't even need to put vinegar in there because it has citric acid in the actual packets. And you can color them that way, and they'll smell fruity and it sounds good. be lovely. And So all kinds of things. Use things like tape or rubber bands to cover up different colors. If you go light to dark, then you can uh, build the color up, and you can get different shades on there. Uh, keep your primary and secondary colors. If you put uh, blue and yellow together, of course, it's going to make green. So you can do all kinds of things like that as you build up the colors on there. All right. All that information, of course, is on the website. Sure. And uh, the Fork Reporter, at Fork Reporter, which is uh, on social media. Now, uh, 24 new food items at Major League Baseball stadiums uh, from fantastic to absolutely downright disgusting. Yeah, there's kind of – there's this new trend that is going towards – and it, it starts with the fair food and stuff like that. It's really kind of designed to 
make people take pictures of it because I don't know why. It, you're certainly not going to eat it. So you've got a game like baseball. Everybody knows baseball is kind of slow, right? Right, and hot dogs. Uh, and, you know, it can last yeah. three hours or more. And you're, the days of the hot dogs and popcorn and pretzels, they still exist. But really, they're trying to get you in and get you excited about the food. So they're doing crazy things. Here at Dodger Stadium, we've got uh, uh, tuna poke bowls, which is actually a really good choice. So uh, poke means to, to to dice, to cut. And so you get really fresh fish um, in little dices, and it's usually mixed with, um, uh, all you know, all kinds of sesame seeds, things like that, seaweed, whatever. And it makes for a really nice, nice and healthy dish. So that's kind of a great thing. Yeah, and then that stops. Health stops right there. Yeah, then they got, go to loaded tater tots. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got cheese on it and everything like that. That's also at Dodger Stadium. At Fenway Park, they have lobster melt. And now you start seeing they, you know, that's these all sort of seem so like these are, the norm. You're, you're talking about effectively high-end, weird fusion food that someone just comes up with a crazy-ass idea, and there you go. Expensive? Oh, huge yeah. profit center, far more than hot dogs? Food or is th- one of those things where uh, there aren't always a lot of margins. You really have to, you know, people think that the you know restaurants and whatnot are making tons of money. They really aren't. They're usually working on very small margins. It's usually something, food is usually there to keep people longer, maybe that make a little see, bit of money. No, but, I can you see know, that. It makes a it more. F- but you're making uh, more money off the yeah, beer or, ha- or things like that than you're going to on the food. But it's almost like, and I'm comparing it to going to the county fair. The county fair, which I go every year, a lot of the draw is fried everything. Just yeah. what, and, and that's part of the flavor of the fair. So I'm assuming that baseball is expanding, and I have no idea if this is the case or not, but it smells like it is expanding the experience to let's go to the ballpark, watch a great game, or in case of the Dodgers, not so great a game, although they did pretty well last year, didn't they, or they didn't? I don't know. In any case, uh, part of uh, the food, the interesting, weird food, I love it. Yeah, and you're keeping a lot of advertising and whatnot is going on inside the ballpark, and you really want people to be staying there as long as possible and enjoying themselves and being part of the game. And this one is bizarre. Uh, take a look at Chase Field, the churro dog. The churro dog. Look at this. So you've got a donut bar, chocolate donut bar, uh, with a churro on the inside like a hot dog with three scoops of ice cream. And then you and then that's covered with whipped cream. And then you have chocolate sauce and caramel sauce on top of that. Yeah, that's a dessert. Where's the hot dog? It's not a hot dog. The hot dog is a churro. Oh, so it's a, it's a dessert. Sounds pretty good. It, Ice cream, churro, chocolate. Yeah, yeah that's not they bad. They all go together. It just is the uh, uh, this uh, brunch Bloody Mary at uh, Tropicana Field. Look at that. Look at the garnish on this. You've got a hard-boiled egg. Uh, it, it's The garnish itself is probably eight inches long. If you think I'm going to touch that line, you're absolutely wrong. Uh, two powdered, sh- speaking of which, two powdered donut balls. And that's uh, impressive. Yeah. And then finally, before we bail out of here, Chicago White House, a 16 inch brisket mac and cheese grilled cheese sandwich. I knew you were going to find I know. That. You went straight for it. Could you smell the brisket? You sniff the brisket out? Brisket and mac and cheese uh, and uh, on two pe- long pieces of bread and it's onion rings that are topping it. Yeah, right. That looks pretty good to me. It does actually. All right, Neil, uh, Saturday. 
from uh, 2 to 5 o'clock, uh, yes, the sir. Fork Reporter on social media, mm-hmm. at Fork Reporter, and, of course, the website, kfiam640.com, and the keyword is Fork Report. Correct. Oh, wow. I think it's the first time I did that. Coming up, yes. Gary and Shannon, right here, KFI AM 640.